So uh, today I'm going to finish up our series, the uh, the power of peace. And uh, obviously, it's been really, uh, really an interesting couple of weeks over the, la- the last few messages. I've heard some pretty amazing testimonies um, from people uh, in, in reconciliation and uh, coming to a realization uh, of, of who we are in Christ and how we walk and, and what we do. And, um, uh, and I was glad I was able to do all that in my typical, easygoing, non-confrontational way, um, which is great. And uh, it's, been, it's been very interesting um, uh, seeing it, because whenever you approach messages like these, uh, as a pastor, you're kind of never really sure what's going to happen. You know that you have to tell the truth. You know you have to speak what God is putting on your heart. But you never really know how it's going to be received, you know. Um, and uh, it's been received well. And I think that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, what I think we've learned over the ca- past couple of weeks is that uh, peace is, is difficult. Uh, peace, peace is difficult. It's not that easy. Uh, just ignoring life doesn't doesn't count, doesn't do anything for you. It actually hurts you in the long run. Where actually finding peace from a biblical standpoint is actually there's actually work behind it, and it's but it's good work. You know, it's work when you're done at the end of it. Even though it might be emotionally difficult, and it might even be might even be physically difficult. You you realize this was so worth it. You know, any of you guys ever been <coughs> good tired? You know, there's bad tired, and there's good tired. And when you're, when you're moving towards the idea of biblical peace and the understanding of biblical peace, it's a good tired. I find a lot of peace myself in just the understanding that God does not have a desire that his people be perfect from day one. When you accept the Lord, no matter where you are, if you're at an altar, if you're at a friend's house, you're, you're at, a, at a bar sitting next to someone that had, had the guts to witness to you, at that, you know, in, in that, kind of, that kind of establishment, and you accept Christ into your life, you're not supposed to just all of a sudden turn, oh, wow. The, the clouds parted. I can hear angels. And I don't have any desire to sin anymore in my life. That is so not what happens. It's so far different from there. I tell most people when they, when they get to know, when they uh, first come to the Lord, they think that my life is so much different. You know, it's so great. What do you think I can expect? I think in the next month or so, really difficult days. They're like, what? Isn't this supposed to be awesome from here on out? It is, but awesome has a lot of applications. You know, <clears throat> we want to do a little bit more. God does not, God is not naive enough to believe that his people are going to be perfect from day one. Scripture helps us to understand that God is fully aware that we are all a bunch of difficult, stubborn, opinionated humans. That's not a surprise to him because he designed us. Yet he still makes an option for us to draw near to him, even when we fumble, fall, and sin. The idea is you just, you get back up and you keep going. I've been asked a thousand times over the years, as a Christian, how many times do I fall before I just decide I can't walk this path? You know, you find people who grew up in the church, a lot, this happens a lot, kids who grew up in the church and their parents were naive enough to think that they were saved the whole time. Can I... Can I humbly say that again? You have kids who grow up in the church and you have parents who are naive enough to believe they've been saved since they were two years old. That that kid is never going to have to make a conscious decision for Christ. That might happen that early, but it's extremely rare. Kids who grow up in church still need to come to the realization that they need Jesus. The difference between a sinner and a sinful saint 
It's a sinful saint doesn't give up. They know they made a mistake. They keep going. They get up, they dust themselves off, you repent, and you move forward. That's a difficult thing to do because eventually we just don't think we're worth it anymore. Jesus knew without hesitation that even those who, who uh, committed to him would have problems and make mistakes and they would even hurt one another. So he showed us how to handle these things. And that's what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at another teaching of Jesus <clears throat> that I think will not only help us further define peace, but it will allow us to walk in that peace in any circumstance. Wouldn't that be nice? To be able to walk in full peace and awareness of God's mercy, grace, and, and power, no matter what the circumstance is. And usually those circumstances aren't necessarily great. What we're going to be looking at today is the Beatitudes. So I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to take a look at some pretty amazing pieces of spiritual truth and how they apply to our life. And what I'm going to do, for those of you who know, we've been using the new, uh, uh, the new Living Translation for this year. Each year I switch to a different Bible translation to encourage you to look at different, different translations. Now today, I'm actually going to be using the New King James for a very specific reason. And I want to explain to you what that reason is, uh, because this is a really great opportunity. This is a little, little teaching moment to show you how different translations can approach different passages and some of the risks that you have to be aware of because there are certain translations that will accidentally lead you in a, uh, uh, in, in a, a direction that's not necessarily the intent of God. And this is one of those sections. So let me read this to you in the New King James and I'm going to read it to you again in the New Living and you'll see immediately what I'm talking about. So in the New King James, starting in verse 1, chapter 5, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's pretty cool. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they, they uh, revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's a pretty clear section of scripture when you read it in a translation that, that comes at it in this way. But when you approach things in a slightly different manner. <clears throat> now, I want to give you, I want, I want to be really clear on this. The translation you're going to see is not wrong. It's not wrong. If you actually know the context, when you look at it, you're like, oh, yeah, it can mean that. The problem is the wording gives you, can give you the wrong idea. So let me show you this. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. You see, it's right but it's wrong at the same time. God blesses those who mourn. God blesses those who are humble. God blesses those who hunger. God blesses those who are merciful. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. You see where it's going. See, the translation, although when you know the context, it is correct. It gives you the, the idea that if you're going through this, there's a blessing on the way. Do you see it? You see, if I'm poor, God is bringing a blessing to me. If I'm meek, God will bring... See, in a situation, if I choose to be meek, God will bring a blessing to me. 
That's the, that's how this works, right? No. It's not how it works. The context is not that we will be blessed if. The context is you are blessed because. It's not a blessing that's coming. The blessing is because this is happening, because you are taking a stand for Christ, and because of that stand, you are in this situation. You are blessed. It's not a future thing. It's right now. That's difficult to understand. How many of you ever thought of hardship and suffering as a blessing? Right? I can't, can't wait to go to jail for my faith. Oh, I hope they have thumb screws. <laughs> See, no one is thinking that. In the Western world, westernized Christianity, it's almost dismissed out of hand. There's actually a whole area of Western Christianity, American Christianity, where you're actually taught that if you follow in the footsteps of Christ and live a righteous life, you will have health and wealth and everything will go good for you. You'll have cars and money. People will like you. People say things like, those of great faith are blessed and provided for by the Lord. Hallelujah. God would never let that happen to me. I'm one of his. I am chosen. I am blessed and highly favored. And we're promised health and wealth if we live a righteous life and other lies that we tell ourselves and aren't found anywhere in the Bible. Listen to a couple of these verses that actually are promises for those who follow in the footsteps of Christ. Now, I want you to think about all the joy that is about to come your way as I'm reading these things. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying. (laughs) All right. Our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us glory that vastly outweighs uh, outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we 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 see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. How about this one? Yes! Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. Um, Everyone, not just some. God blesses those who patiently endure uh, testing and temptation. Endure means you got to go through it. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I have told you all this so you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows. These are the words of Jesus. But take heart because I've overcome the world. How about this one? We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. See, there's a lot there about peace. There's a lot there about understanding. That list goes on. You find these scriptures all through the word of God. In the early church, persecution was not accepted. It was embraced. They were more than willing to go through it because of what they knew Jesus had done for them. Now, keep in mind, they also probably saw Christ himself. A lot of these people probably saw Jesus in Jerusalem. They probably were one of the people crying out Barabbas. 
And there's plenty of people during this particular time. It's different for us. We're 2,000 years removed. We're reading it from a text. And that's where our faith has to become very big. We've got to believe in the thing you can't see. But one of the difficult truths we can learn from all of Scripture is that to have great faith requires that you be tested greatly. See, living a life of blessing, living a life of no trouble, living a life where your health is never challenged, living a life where nothing ever goes wrong in you does not mean that you have had great faith and that God has favored you. It could just simply mean you made good decisions or that you're lucky. You ever met those people? Everything they touch turns to gold. You just want to break their fingers. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Versus other people who work like crazy can't get anything off the ground. You're not like, what is it about this person? What is going on? It may just simply be timing. They may just been in the right place at the right time. It doesn't mean that God favored them and God doesn't favor you. Sometimes if you want great things, if you want to do great things for God, <clears throat> expect to have to go through great things that are going to challenge you. They're going to want to pull you down. The two troubles, the two promises that we find in Scripture are really simple. One is that we will have troubles when we commit to the path of Christ, and two, he will be with us through all of those troubles. He will never leave us. He will always walk right through with us. Not walk and then make sure we don't have to walk through. He's not going to walk through it for you. He's going to walk through it with you. No matter how, now think about this. No matter how incredible your own spiritual transformation in Christ may have been, no matter how much you have personally been changed through Christ, here is a truth we need to remember. This world is not heaven and it never will be. This world is not heaven. No matter how many Christians occupy this planet, this world will never be heaven. This is a broken world. We broke it a long time ago. You may not have been the person that actually did it, but humanity broke it. And God tells us that at the end of time, when he decides everything is over, he's going to stop this world, he's going to roll it up like an old carpet and unroll a new one. And that new one is going to be perfect, as he originally intended. And we get to live there. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about that. So because we're going to be going through all these things, because Jesus knows that we're going to have troubles in this world, he gives us, a path to follow. He gives us the teaching to help us take us through those times. The mission of Christ, the gospel mission, guarantees that in your life you're going to lose friends, you're going to be marginalized by your own family, you're going to experience difficulties, you're going to get pushback from people, people may even hate you, and the list goes on. It's okay. You ever thought about this? All of that is okay. It's all right when that happens. As long as it's happening because you're making a stand for Christ. If it happens because you're just being an idiot, well, then you're just being an idiot. And that's what happens. Sometimes people will come to me, my life is falling apart. I don't know what's going on. I'm I'm losing everything. I don't know what's happened. You make bad choices. I don't want to come to this church anymore. Okay. I didn't come to you for truth. (laughs) Should have went somewhere else. (laughs) I got nothing else for you. So what I want to do is I want to take a look at the the Beatitudes. (coughs) Because an old saying, these should be our attitude. Right? 
The Beatitudes should be our attitude in these situations. And it's important for us to, to be able to see these things. So the, when, we, when we look at these individually, the very first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the, the, the other translation we looked at makes it, makes it seem like poor money-wise. That, that's not necessarily what, what we're talking about here. Um, it's, this is not necessarily material poverty. I want to read a section um, from one of these commentaries. I don't do this very often, but if you're looking for a set of commentaries, Tyndale's commentaries are really fantastic. They're not cheap, but they're really, really fantastic because they don't tell you what to think. They just give you the information about what it means, and then you get to come to your own conclusion. But this is, this is just important. This first, this first beatitude, the poor in spirit, actually defines how we're supposed to approach all the rest of them. So in the commentary it reads, poor in spirit warns us immediately that though he, uh, that the thought here is not of material poverty. The phrase alludes to an Old Testament theme which underlines all the Beatitudes, that of the poor or meek, listen to this, <coughs> who occur frequently in the Psalms and elsewhere, those who humbly trust God even though their loyalty results in oppression and material disadvantage. In contrast with the wicked who arrogantly set themselves up against God and persecute his people. The emphasis is on piety and suffering and on dependence on God, not on material poverty as such. Poor in spirit. It's when you know that you're, if you make, if you make this choice, there will be a price to pay. See, there are certain choices. All Christians come up to this, especially those of you who are young, who are about to be going into college. You are going to be faced with this often, where you're going to have to make a choice. If I just stay quiet and say nothing about my faith and just let whatever is going on go on, then I will get ahead in life. But if I speak up, if I make a stand, if I say no, I'm going to pay a price for this. I'm going to pay a price for this in my career. I'm going to pay a price for this probably in my salary. I'm going to pay a price for this maybe even in grades. And you make the choice to stand for your faith because you refuse to compromise what Christ did for you. And because of that, it lowers you. It lowers your potential. It has a direct effect. They are the blessed. You think about this, and people in those situations, they're not waiting for a blessing to arrive. They are blessed, and the proof is in the fact that they could see the importance of the decision they had to make, and they had the courage to make it. That's the blessing of God. Blessed are those people. The kingdom of heaven waits for those people. Another way to say it is, what they gave up in life will be waiting for them in heaven. It's not a bad exchange. The second one, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And this is so much more than just mourning for the loss of a loved one. Most of the focus on this is just people who just have a bad life. You know, there are certain, certain areas of the world, certain people, certain circumstances, you can't help them. You may want to. You may have a strong desire to. They may have the worst kind of life imaginable, and you want to do something, and you can't. The people in those situations, if they're there because they have made a stand for Christ, that's what this is talking about. Those who mourn, those who are just emotionally broken because of the choice that they had to make, their life will never be anything anyone ever wants to live. It may even be extremely short 
because of the choices that they've made. Now you think about this, it's like a, a, a Muslim kid who comes home and lets his, let their, his parents know that they just got saved. One of two things is going to happen. They're either thrown, literally thrown out of the house or there's what's called an honor killing. This happens in Muslim countries. In more westernized countries, they typically are just kicked out of the house. And I don't mean kicked out of the house with their stuff. Whatever you happen to be wearing, whatever's in your pockets, that's all you have. Get out. I never want to see you again. Those are people who mourn. They made a stand for Christ. They did nothing wrong, and their life was pretty much destroyed. Blessed are those who mourn. Now you think about that. How is that blessed? It was blessed because they had the courage to do it because of the spirit that was within. They knew going the other direction was wrong and it would take them down a path that there'd be no recovery from. But they chose to make the stand. I'm going to do this even if my life is horrible, if I have nothing and it might even be shortened. I, I, there's nothing else that I can do because I'm not living for this life. I'm living for that one. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall inherit the earth. The comfort that they did not find in this life is waiting for them in the next. How about this one? Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Now, meek, not weak. We, 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 mix this, uh, we, we mix this up. Meekness is not the inability to affect something. It's actually exactly the opposite. Now, let me illustrate this for you. I'm sitting at a table. I'm eating a pile of wings. I'm on one side of the table. Jay is on the other side. There's one wing left. We both reach for it. We both grab it at the same time. Electricity pulses between our hands. Jay is immediately struck with fear because he knows his arm is about to come right out of its socket. Do you even remotely believe that that's possible? No, more than likely, here's what's going to happen. He'll let go so that I could have it. You see, when it comes to a battle of strength, I lose. He knows all he's got to do is pick me up. I'm done. Put me down. Put me down. Right? But you see, there's something in him that does not... Now, you all know Jay. And I warned him today I was going to talk, talk about him today. So he's, he's partially aware of this. Uh, and I know he's going to hate every second of this. But see, Jay is a, is, a, is a big, powerful man. Anyone who knows him knows that. But here's the other thing that you know about him. He will never use that to move somebody else out of the way so that he can get an advantage. He doesn't have it in him to do it. That's meek. Meekness is when you have the power to make it happen. It's going to be for your benefit. Someone else may suffer for it, but it's okay. This is about me. And you choose to benefit the other person. That's meekness, not weakness. You cannot be meek if you don't have the strength to make it go the other direction. That is weakness. (laughs) It's just that simple. Meekness is having that strength, knowing you have the strength, but because Christ is in you, there's grace, there's softness, there's the desire to see others more highly than yourself. That's an important thing. It's a powerful thing. It should never be understood and never be uh, uh, taken for granted.
How about this one? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So here's another section from this, this same commentary. The way they describe it is this. For spiritual hunger, uh, for spiritual hunger and thirst, for spiritual hunger and thirst for righteousness in Matthew, the meaning here will be that their one desire is for a relationship of obedience and trust with God. It is thus a personal aspiration, not a desire for social justice. The idea of vindication or justification may be implied in the promise that this desire shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're not talking about seeing righteousness in the world. I hunger and thirst for righteousness, so I march for social justice. That has nothing to do with it. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness for themselves. They know that their main focus is not the world. Because here, here's something that you need to, need to realize. The amount of things that you can control are limited to you. That's it. Righteousness is an internal thing, not an external thing. If it doesn't start here, it doesn't make any difference if you force other people to live in, in your idea of righteousness. Righteousness has to... Th- Start inside, and you have to hunger for it. And when you hunger for it, what you're doing is you're seeing things, patterns in your life, thoughts in your life, language in your life, things that you do in your life that you know are wrong, and you're hungering and thirsting to give that up and do it God's way. Not for anybody else, for you. Because that's all you can really control. The example that you are in front of the rest of the world is going to come down to what you desire to see in your life. So hungering and thirsting for righteousness is an internal, personal decision. You're the only one who can make it for you. Okay? How about this one? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This is along the same lines of what we talked about in the last few weeks. It's closely connected to meekness. It's when you have the ability to bring judgment and difficulty or get your revenge Oh, they had it coming and I was glad to deliver it. But you choose mercy because that's what God gave you. Anyone ever thought about this? They need to get what they deserve. They, they, they got what they deserve. I'm that totally fine. Got what they deserved. Now, with a show of hands, how many here would like to get what they deserve as we stand before God? So if God balances the scales and what you got coming is coming, how many of you want that? None of us want that. So we should not be so willing to give that to other people either. We should offer to others what we want for ourselves, which is grace, forgiveness, mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is more than moral purity or sexual purity. And it's not a level of personal spiritual accomplishment. I'm the pure in heart. I went home and got rid of all of my rated R movies. Yeah, okay. Do you miss them? Well, yeah. (laughs) Not pure in heart. (laughs) Not how that works. This is someone who loves God and pursues purity in his eyes, not the world's eyes. Even when they fall, even when they make mistakes, even when they sin... You may be trying to get free from something. You may be trying to get free from porn. You may be trying to get free from alcoholism. You may be trying to get free from things like sexual adultery or uh, sexual idolatry or anything like that. You know what? Falling 
does not mean that you permanently failed. Failure is not fatal. Failure is only fatal to a Christian when we refuse to get up. When we refuse to continue fighting, that's when we fail. You know what? I'm just a drunk. I'm just a drunk. I'm just, I'm just a drunk. I don't know what else I can do in my life. It's just, I was born this way. That's never been used to justify sin, has it? I don't care if you were born that way. I was born short. I bought a ladder. <laughs> There's an old singer. His name is Carmen. Um, if you really like bad rap from, you know, an Italian guy, <laughs> just you think I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, there's a line in one of his songs. Um, uh, I can't remember. I think it's uh, I Bring God to America again, I think it was. It said, uh, you know you're in trouble when people would rather come out of the closet than clean it. See, there's a truth there. When we're seeking after the purity of God, we're doing it for ourselves. And we know that we're going to make mistakes along the way. You think about this, David. David is what? A man after God's own heart? God calls him a man after his own heart. David was an adulterer. He fathered a child out of wedlock. And then in order to hide it, he killed the actual husband of the woman he slept with and an entire company of soldiers just to cover up his sin. This is a man after God's own heart? What is the difference between him and a mass murderer? You kill five people today, you're a mass murderer. The company of men that he allowed to die was around 100. And they all had families. He's called a man after God's own heart. What's the difference? And it's really simple. Repentance. Repentance. I know it's a bad word today. It's a R word in Christianity. Repent. When confronted with the sin, he repented. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. Not his perfection. Not his accomplishments. His ability to repent when sin was brought in front of him. That's someone who is searching for purity of heart. You see, the actions are a small piece of it. What God cares about is how you change when confronted with it. We all have those things in our lives. We need to deal with them. We need to be pursuing God, not for anybody else but us. Now, that also means that it's God's standard that we have to be pursuing. So when we're talking about moral purity today, we're talking about sexual purity. We're talking about idolatry. We're talking about the type of purity that I don't think I need to go into any details. It's not the world's standards that we should be living by. We should not be seeking the, 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 uh, the uh, approval of men based on their idea of purity. You know one of the fastest growing trends in the church today are young people in the church who call themselves Christian but are totally happy cohabitating. If you don't know what cohabitating it is, two people who refuse to get married, but they want to pretend they are. All the advantages of being married is outlined in scripture, but you know, hey, let's not push it. We'll just, you know, we'll just play house for a little while until we decide whether or not we really want to do this. That's one of the fastest growing trends in the American church today. You know what that is? That is a moral failure. Because it's not okay. It will never be Okay. But we do it because we have gauged our lives based on the moral standards of society today. We're a little bit more advanced than, than, than when the Bible was originally written. No, we're not. We have devolved so heavily it's almost comical. But you see, we pursue purity. 
At least two, th- two times a year, I have couples come into my office and ask me, hey, can we become um, uh, more involved with the church? Or how do I get more involved with the church? My answer is always the same. Get married. Start there. Whoa, you just crossed a line. How dare you tell me how to live? I didn't. I read it out of the Bible. Um, I'm sorry it was offensive. <laughs> That's the way it works. But blessed are the pure in heart, for they're the ones that will see God. Now that tells us something. When we refuse to follow the purity of, of God as outlined in Scripture, we will not see God. See how that works? It's because we've rejected his purity. How about this one? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. A peacemaker is a rare person, folks. They are a rare person. But it's a quality that we can all develop. Now, you may not be the kind of person who would say something like, uh, you know, well, maybe Hitler just had a really bad upbringing. You know, maybe that's just not naturally you. But that's the mentality of a peacemaker. The mentality of a peacemaker is, yeah, you know, I know they hit you with your car, but, you know, maybe, maybe the brakes just weren't as quick as they thought they would be. I know they stole from you, but maybe they had a huge pressing need in their life. I know they broke into to your house and they cleaned it all out, but maybe they just needed a couch. You're looking for, when the situation arises, you're looking for something that can bring some reconciliation, maybe some common understanding to the situation. You're trying to do that. You're a peacemaker. You want, you don't want this to escalate to something that it doesn't need to be. So you're trying to find something, some way to understand what just happened. These are rare people and they usually annoy everybody because sometimes things happen and we just want justice. But that goes back to that whole mercy thing, doesn't it? How many of us want what we deserve? None of us. There's an idea of consciously being a peacemaker. In the simplest terms, this is a person who tries to find the path that will keep people together, thinking the best of each other. What is that path? How do you get there from re- to reconciliation? It's a choice to see the best in something, even in the worst situation. I so want to answer that phone. No, I'm kidding. It's just... <laughs> That would be really funny. Uh, (laughs) No, he's in church. Why aren't you? Uh, (laughs) See, that's not being a peacemaker. (laughs) But it is funny. Anyway. So we look for the best even in the worst situations. And the last one is this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the last two pieces there are actually connected to this one. It says, blessed are you when they, re- they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you and f- uh, 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 falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly, get- and be exceedingly glad, uh, for great is your reward in heaven, for uh, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These last two are a reminder that the stuff that we just talked about is not a maybe in your life. That list that we just went through, at some point in time, if you live long enough, if you serve God long enough, at some point in time, one or more of these is going to happen in your life, probably at the same time. You're going to find yourself in these situations where things get tough, where things are emotional, where you want to, you want justice, you want things to happen, you want, no, this isn't fair, no, this shouldn't have happened, no, and, and you, you get, you get riled up on the inside, but God is reminding us in this situation 
don't just expect it. Understand that when it happens, you are blessed. You are blessed to be able to take part in the suffering of Christ for his mission on earth. You have been counted worthy to take on some of the suffering for the gospel mission. You have been counted as one faithful enough to endure this for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Did you see the difference there? You see, all of these things come back to whether or not I'm taking a stand for Christ. I'm taking a stand on the teachings of Jesus. And because I'm taking this stand, this is going to happen. There's a big difference in there. When we walk through our life, when we want the kind of peace that can allow us to swim in a hurricane, it's understanding that this stuff is not happening because I'm a terrible person, because my life just stinks. These things are happening because I serve a mighty God who's not concerned about today. He's concerned about forever. And that should be our goal. If your goal is to have a good life now, to live your blessed life, your, your, your best life now, you're missing the point. Because this world is all, Jesus says it in, in, uh, in, John, in John chapter 3, this world is already judged. Already judged. Our goal is to get people out of that by introducing them to Christ. Right? That, that's our only goal. And because we're doing that, these things will happen to us. They will. We live in New York. It's guaranteed. You'll be persecuted for your faith. What was it the last governor said? If you're going to stand up for Christian values, New, York, New York's really not the place for you? <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. We got a real chance on Tuesday, folks. I'm just saying, get out and vote. That's all I'm going to say. We should, we should be okay when these things happen. We want the peace that passes all understanding. We got to be able to walk through stuff that makes no sense to other people around us. Jesus has amazing things for you, but they're going to come with amazing challenges. And if you avoid the challenges, you, you're going to miss the blessing. So step into the challenge, step into the difficulty, step into the suffering and embrace it as something that's a blessing. Be okay with it because there's always something more amazing on the other side. Always. This is the process of our life. Half of the things that we do, we don't necessarily want to do. We do them because they need to be done. There's always an amazing blessing on the other side of it. Always. I don't want to talk to my friend about that thing. It's not comfortable. Do it anyway. And there's an amazing blessing on the other side. You may not see it, but it's there. But we got to do it God's way. That's the idea.